Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. I'm Max Tucci, and my new book is The Delmonico Way, Sublime Entertaining and Legendary Recipes from the Restaurant That Made New York. Delmonico's was so much more than a restaurant. It was a cultural institution. For those who don't know about Delmonico's, can you kick things off with the history during the Gilded Age? Good morning. Yes, let's talk about the Gilded Age and all that is about Delmonico's. You know, Delmonico's originated in 1827, first as really a bakery. It was a bake shop. And it progressed and it morphed by 1837. It was a full-fledged restaurant by the Delmonico brothers who were Swiss-Italian immigrants who came to America for the American dream, saw the opportunity, and they were like full throttle with this uh, Delmonico's. And so by the the 1830s, 1840s, Delmonico's was like the place to be. And really, it was an institution for fine dining. It created America's first fine dining restaurant. And so there were some different locations throughout the years. The most famous one is the one that's in downtown Wall Street. You know, Delmonico's was like a chain, if you, for lack of better words. And so by 1891, really, there was an incredible location known as 56 Beaver Street on the corner of Beaver and South William. And that's where so much magic happened. You know, to talk about the present, we have to talk about the past. (laughs) And so the Delmonico brothers really paved the way for fine dining, bringing white tablecloths, bringing menus to the restaurant, allowing women to dine there unaccompanied by men. And so really what they created was this institution that this culinary retreat, let's call it, of fine Epicurean experiences. And throughout the years, it entertained everyone from Abraham Lincoln, President Abraham Lincoln, to Mark Twain, to Nikola Tesla, and the Gilded Age. We see it today on HBO. They mention it. Let's go to dinner at Delmonico's, even in Hello, Dolly. So Delmonico's really was such an incredible culinary Epicurean experience. I don't, you know, to to try to define Delmonico's almost minimizes it. It's that incredible of an institution. You know, as an aside, my ancestor is Salmon P. Chase, Secretary of Treasury with Lincoln. So I love to think that he ate at Delmonico's. Of course he did. (laughs) You know, Lincoln was known to eat there. And so was after that, they said every president after Lincoln dined at Delmonico's. So there was such a history and a love and an affection for Delmonico's and what it offered to the clientele. So talk a little bit about that original building on Beaver and William Street in the Wall Street area. It's a triangle, and I think it looks so much like the Flatiron Building. You know, it's so funny you mention that. I have friends who come from Europe, Italy, cousins, and they'll be in front of the Flatiron Building. They'll be like, look, Delmonico's. (laughs) And I'm like, you have to go down into the heart of Wall Street, Beaver and South William. Uh, You know, and I love it. They're the Bowling Green Station, the history of downtown New York. Imagine Bowling Green is one of the subway stops there because that's exactly what it was. The greens for bowling, you know? So it's in the heart of the financial district. And it was designed by James Brown Lord. I I can never forget his name because it's James Brown. (laughs) I'm like, James Brown Lord did the building. And it was completed in 1891. And the Delmonicos knew that they wanted to have something special. So they're the ones that really called upon James Brown Lord and said, let's do this incredible building. And so it was replaced, however, because the first building they said was built around 1837. And that's when the restaurant happened. 
Remember, 1827 is the bakery. 1837 now is the restaurant. This I love because it's a New York designated landmark. You know, we have to remember Prohibition like totally came in and wiped out the Delmonico family. But prior to that, you know, they suffered from what we call today Wheatless Wednesdays and Meatless Mondays. The Wheatless Days and the Meatless Days were war rationing for food. You know, it was food rationing during the war. So the building suffered, the Delmonico suffered, and then eventually the building went into foreclosure. And so my grandfather was obsessed with this building. He had been to America from Florence, Italy, Tuscan immigrant, numerous times with his grandfather, my great-grandfather. Their first trip was 1912 and many trips after. And so by 1917, the restaurant, you know, the building really became a foreclosed building. There's no other way to put it. And so it stayed empty for some time, the restaurant. Keep in mind, there were offices upstairs. There were merchant offices. There were insurance offices, immigration offices. But the restaurant was closed, shuttered due to prohibition. And so the building was at one point slated to be knocked down. So why is it important today that it's a landmark building? Because when my grandfather saw it, he saw not only the opportunity for his American dream, but he saw the opportunity that the building had. You know, it was like that genie in a bottle. He just had to rub that lamp and the genie was going to come out. And so he cared for that building. We called it my my grandfather's third child because he <laughs> loved that building so much. And he really took care of it. And when anyone would come to try to like vandalize it or break something, he was out there himself cleaning with the broom. It's funny because my Italian cousins, his family own one of the largest broom factories in the world now called Fast Easy Clean. And so my grandfather, I guess it was somewhere in his in his trade of, of sweeping and, and because he always swept outside. My father would take it one step further and would vacuum the floor mat in the front of the building. But the building is so magical. You know, it is confused at times for the um, the Flatiron building. But for me, it's a building. And what I love about the Delmonico archives that I have is that I have the blueprints where my grandfather would like change things and fix things. So for me, that building, even though we don't own it anymore and it is a landmark, it has such a special place in my heart. And I want to just tell you a fun story, if I may. A dear friend of mine who I met on a photo shoot while doing some author photos, I guess we call them now for the Delmonico way. I was doing the photo shoot in front of the restaurant and there was a, a young guy who was like watching the shoot. And then we spoke afterwards and I'm like, what is your connection with the building? And he said, I live in the building. I said, oh my God, that is so cool. So he said, I'm on the fourth floor. I was like, that was my grandfather's office. <laughs> so I was like, he's like, well, let me give you a tour of the building. So we became quick friends. I learned after that he's the first openly gay drag race car driver <laughs> who lives in this building. So we became friends, he and his partner. Actually, it's like that six degrees of separation. His partner works for Penguin Random House who distributes my book. So it's like that six degrees of New York separation. He comes up to the farm and he brings me a jar. And inside the jar, there's a like a stone, like a brick. And I'm like, what is this? And he said, I went to the basement of the restaurant and I brought you a piece of the cornerstone. Oh, my and goodness. I have been given gifts my whole life. I have a tremendous amount of friends that I adore. They're really good gift givers. But this piece of the building where my ancestors' energy, I believe, is, is now I have with me always. I bring it with me on book tour. I, I, like, I had to like write it in my will. Like I want this thing buried with me. It is the most incredible. And I just feel that energy. You know, it's a beautiful um, brownstone brick building. And it's said to have the Pompeii columns 
that they go back to like the original days of Pompeii and these columns were there. But what I remember most about that beautiful entrance was when my family had the two jockeys that read Oscars Del Monaco before the 21 club. And on the two big pillars of the building, one side said Oscars and the other side said Delmonico's. And so for me, it's, it's just a staple in my mind. And it just brings me back to that old New York. You know, when you're in those five points right there in the heart of it all, you're in like old New York in downtown. So I just love that building. So you've been talking about your grandfather, Oscar Tucci, and his name was synonymous with hospitality. All were welcome at the table. He loved to travel. So how did that translate into the design and cuisine of Delmonico's? I love you for asking about my grandfather. You know, ancestors are such an important role in my life. For me, I believe there's this ancestral push. That's actually what got me the book. But we have to mention Oscar Tucci in a way and paint the picture, though, so that our listeners understand him. You know, when we were doing the forward of the book, we were thinking, who should we have? My editors were like, how about this one? How about that one? And then there was always this, well, Delmonico's was before them. Oscar was before them. He was the restaurateur before that restaurateur. He was the restaurant that made that restaurateur. So we decided to take a quote from Oscar Tucci and make that the forward of the book. And so I'll read right now, just that forward. So we paint the picture of who this man was. So Oscar writes, and this is from 1953. And this is on page five of the book. At Oscar's Delmonico, I serve hundreds of lunches daily and grand galas and dinners. It is my aim to please my loyal clientele and give them the highest quality food prepare in an appetizing manner, in an elegant atmosphere. All are welcome at my table. And so my grandfather welcomed all. And when I say all, I'm saying all to Kristen Jorgensen, who was the first transgender woman. And he got a lot of, uh, you know, feedback from his macho clientele to, of course, Gypsy Rose Lee, Eva Gabor. He welcomed all, but it wasn't only celebrities. My grandfather was known. Remember, we said he loved the building. If there was someone outside, a homeless man, my grandfather, when during dark hours, would feed them at the table. My father continued that tradition, and then I do that as well today in the sense of hospitality and giving back. But my grandfather really welcomed all. And so he was such a kind gentleman. I never met him. He was born on June 4th, and he died June 4th, many, many years later. And he died 10 years before my birthday. I carry his name, Oscar Tucci. And so for me, I feel like even though he's not here, I know him so well. And by doing this book, I learned so many wonderful things about him. He was a, from what I know from all these interviews, the kindest man you ever met. If you were Italian, because he was, he would welcome you into the restaurant. And if you wanted to work there and you didn't speak English and only Italian, it was almost guaranteed you had a job there. So he came from Italy, from Florence, Italy, Tuscan immigrant. And he really had, like we say in the book, the sogno americano, the American dream. And he made that American dream his reality. You know, he was like, I say he was like the P.T. Barnum of the restaurant industry, who P.T. Barnum was to the circus, Oscar Tucci was to the restaurant industry. I think the big takeaway from Delmonico's and your grandfather was people will always remember how you made them feel. And you know that too, hosting a show, right? People want to come back because you make, I feel, you make me feel so welcome at your table here on the show. So I'm sure you understand that, you know, there's that wonderful validation. And I constantly say it because it's, it's really a mantra in my life and was my family's life. I see you, I hear you, and you matter. People will not remember more or less the atmosphere of the restaurant, 
They might not remember the taste of the coffee or how butter melted on the steak or how the eggs Benedict, the hollandaise sauce just dripped beautifully off of the plate. They may not even remember the music that was being played in the restaurant. But one thing for sure they remember is how they were treated. And my grandfather knew that if I can let them know that I see them, I hear them, they matter. They are the crucial part of this institution. At one point, we were doing a thousand lunches a day because people felt seen, they felt heard, and they were told they mattered. I think a great example of being seen and heard was on April 20th, 1868, when women were allowed to dine without men at Delmonico's. That was one of, to me, the most interesting conversations I think I've ever had about Delmonico's when I first learned about it. The word allowed blows my mind that we have to go back to such an antiquated term where women were allowed to do something. And that was just a fact then. Women were not allowed to dine unaccompanied by a man at a restaurant. Otherwise, they were going to be known as women of the night. And they say most were if they weren't accompanied by a man. (laughs) So if we go back to, I love that it was on 420-1868. It was really the initiation of the power lunch. And they say the power lunch was coined by Esquire editor-in-chief Lee Eisenberg in 1979. However, we have to go back to 1868. (laughs) when Jane Cunningham Corley had enough of this men's only institution. Although even though it wasn't, back then it was probably considered a man's hangout, for lack of a better word. So this amazing woman, Jane, she said enough is enough. And she went to the Delmonico brothers and she said, I'm going to have a luncheon here. So we write about in the book, so I'm not going to give too much of the story, but the power lunch was created I believe, on that day, April 20th, 1868, when the first women sat down to Delmonico's unaccompanied by men and celebrated what the men have been celebrating for now nearly 30 years. Moving on to the kitchen, that was the heart of Delmonico's. Could you describe the kitchen and the magic happening behind the scenes? (laughs) The magic and the mayhem and the madness of the kitchen. Delmonico's Prior to Oscar Tucci was known for having Chef Charles Ranhofer, who wrote the Epicurean cookbook, thousands of recipes. Was he America's first celebrity chef? It's debatable. But for sure, he was America's first chef who wrote such a detailed cookbook. So if we imagine his kitchen, it wasn't just a kitchen. They were sterling silver polishing stations. There were stations for each and every item. And we have to remember back then when they were cooking, they were doing banquets for 300 people. So imagine the amount of food and the lack of refrigeration. So you could just imagine what the heat, the intensity and the smells and the kitchen and the burning and food, the essence of the kitchen. So obviously, as my grandfather modernized the kitchen throughout the years, he also had the first refrigerated car in New York because he would go to the farms to pick up food. But if we enter that kitchen of Delmonico's and if we go on that journey, imagine the kitchen, like most restaurants and townhouses of the time, were in the basement. And so chefs had to really scurry around and, and make the magic happen. And at a time when Delmonico's was not a steakhouse, it was an international cuisine. They were serving international cuisine, my grandfather. So if you can just close your eyes and and take the journey of curries on the stove and you can smell them through the air and the white wine and the sherries and all of the wonderful magical flavors and the bustle of chefs and sous chefs and waiters and servers 
And my Aunt Mary, who was the Iron Fist of Delmonico, she used to hang out down there and observe the waiters. And a funny story, uh, Lelo Arpaia, Donatella's father, who worked at Delmonico's, said, it was such a busy day, and I was running around the restaurant, and I had to go down to the kitchen, and I have all the genori on the tray, and my heel gets caught on the stair, and I slide down the stairs, and I'm making sure nothing to break on the tray. I stand up, and your Aunt Mary is looking at me, and she said, Good job. You didn't break anything. It was a magical place. It really was. And, you know, the copper pots that were hanging everywhere. I have some of them in my kitchen today. Um, it was just, you know, it, it was magical. It was really the heart of the of the institution. That attention to detail was the soul of hospitality. Your grandfather was so inventive that he had a printing press in the restaurant and he printed a new menu every day in-house. Talk about innovation and a visionary. So, but we have to remember, it might sound today like, wow, that's incredible. Yes, it's incredible that they had a menu. Uh, press, but why? So when we looked into the why, it became so obvious. He was going to the markets every day. The food was constantly changing every day. He would go to Bridgeport, Connecticut. He would go to Staten Island. He would go in his refrigerated Cadillac or the refrigerated Ford, and he would go pick out foods with my uncle Gigi. And they would go on these trips. Again, now picture if we're in the heart of Wall Street, and now we have to drive to Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's not like I-95 was there and it was an easy commute, right? So if we're imagining this, this journey to go get produce and food, and now it's back in the restaurant, and now tomorrow we have to do the trip again, and they don't have, let's say, a beefsteak tomato, or they don't have zucchini, or they don't have onions, we have to change the menu. And so it behooved him to place a printing press in the restaurant so that for the days when the food were 86th, um, he could create the new menu without having to literally, you know, mark it off or, or put a line through it. Because his touch, the Delmonico way and the Tucci touch, was to have sheer elegance, sophistication, and also this, this notion of excellence. So you couldn't just pen out something on the menu. So he had that printing press there so he can create menus. But whenever there was something gone, people knew that attention to detail, it never looked like something wasn't in-house. And he created the wedge salad because that's what he could find at the farmer's market that day. Is that right? Oh, my gosh. You did your research. I love you, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> so indeed, you know, it's kind of funny. There was, I think it was a Seinfeld episode or one of the episodes and someone was like, oh, my grandfather created a Cobb salad. And they're like, yeah, right. But he used beefsteak tomato, those nice thick tomatoes. He used the iceberg, blue cheese, bacon, and it was super simple and delicious. Ciro Maccioni, who once worked for my grandfather, his first job in America was at Delmonico's. He came off the boat. He went to Delmonico's from Tuscany. My grandfather naturally hired him. When my grandfather created the wedge salad, Ciro Maccioni smirked at it. Now, Ciro is well known for the restaurant Le Cirque and for creating Pasta Primavera. And in one of his books, he writes about Oscar created this salad with a dressing that was like too thick or something. How much is it celebrated today? When I go on the journey, and I'm sure, Susie, you have um, 
your favorite wedge. Where is your favorite wedge salad from, if I may? <laughs> there is this place here in the West Village where I live in New York City called Fairfax. Mm-hmm. And it's a seasonal salad. It's not there all the time, but they make the most fantastic wedge salad. And I think the key is the blue cheese dressing. What do you mm. think? And pepper. Oh, fresh cracked pepper. Here's the Oscar Tucci key, which will take this dish one step further. Put Are you going to say the chilled plate? Not only the chilled plate, but the chilled fork and the chilled knife. What? And not only just a knife, a ser- like really like a steak knife, a serrated knife. So you can cut through that lettuce and experience it, right? You can hear the crunch and the crisp when you cut it. And literally when you have a cold fork and knife in your hand and you're cutting into a salad that's on a chilled plate, it makes the experience the Delmonico way. And I would love to go with you there to have a wedge salad together. So let's make a date, my treat work. We should go scout the best wedge salad in America. I think I found it. We'll go to yours, then we'll go to mine. And in the book, I love La Galoo. It's one of my favorite restaurants in New York. It reminds me of old Delmonico's. And now in Palm Beach, and they have a wedge salad. And they have replaced tomatoes with figs. Remember, I grew up in Italy, so figs are a huge part of my, my diet. I love my figs. And there is a wedge salad with figs on the plate. Oh, honey, let me tell you, it is a whole different experience. And Chef Kamen, who's the, sh- the wonderful chef at La Galoo, I phoned him and I said, Chef, I love this wedge salad my grandfather created. He would have loved you. This would have been on the menu. Can I have it for the cookbook? And he was like, but of course. And so we'll go have your wedge salad and then we'll go uptown to La Galoo and have the wedge salad. But for those that want to try the wedge salad, it's in the book, The Wedge Salad with Figs from La Galoo. Now to my segment called I Could Keep Eating, where I ask you what one food you could just keep eating and eating. And for example, I could keep eating store cake, the kind of cake you get at the grocery store, or Parker House Rolls with butter. Okay, does it have to... Well, you had two things, so can I have two things? <laughs> yes. For me, I love rice. I love, I, because it is so versatile. You can have it with butter. You can have it with just salt and pepper. You could have it with, you know, sometimes I even put um, maple syrup in it. So rice to me, no matter how you eat it, I love jasmine rice, basmati rice. Rice is my thing. I love my rice. And you could just keep eating and eating and eating yes. rice. Wow. I know, brown rice, especially. Brown rice with a little bit of soy sauce. I, it's like I'm like a Dalmatian. <laughs> like, you know, they eat everything in front of them. I could eat that rice. Like my mom, when we go to get sushi, I'm like, brown rice, please. And they bring a little bowl. I'm like, no, no, no. I need a big bowl of brown rice. Who knows why I love my rice. But, you know, I have a sweet tooth too. And I love truffles. And we have a wonderful chocolate truffle recipe in the book from my buddy Fritz Knipschultz, the chocolatier. And I, back in the day when I had my vodka uh, line, the Oscars del Monaco vodka, Fritz and I came up with a vodka infused truffle. So we've had a long friendship. So when I asked him for this truffle recipe, I said, it's my favorite. And I could like, last night before I went to bed, I keep them. I keep truffles in a little Lalique bowl from Delmonico's in the refrigerator. And last night before bed, I had my truffle. (laughs) I could eat truffles all day long. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Welcome to the world of Max Tucci. (laughs) Where can we find you and Delmonico's on the web and social media? You know, my ancestors must be here. 
I don't know if you just heard that, but I have a sterling silver bowl on my desk in my office, and it literally just fell off the table. <laughs> oh, wow. my God. Be <laughs> Susie there with us. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the Delmonica Way, at Max Tucci, and I always open up my inbox. So if you want to email me the old school way and not DM me, <laughs> you can email me at max at maxtucci.com, and that's where you can find me. And also every Sunday night on Max and Friends and LA Talk Radio. Thanks so much. Max for coming on Cookery by the Book podcast. Thank you, Susie, for having me. It's been a sweet treat. (laughs) Follow Cookery by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.